chapter twenty two of the commentary by voltaire on an essay on crimes and punishments by cesare beccaria translated by edward duncan in graham this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by caroline chapter twenty two of criminal proceedings and of some other forms of procedure if it should ever happen in france that some of our too rigorous customs be softened by the laws of humanity without however affording greater facility to crime i am inclined to think that a reformation will take place in those proceedings in the enactment of which our legislators appear to have been influenced by too rigid a zeal our criminal law in many respects seems directed entirely to the destruction of the accused it is the only uniform system of law in the whole kingdom and it ought to be as terrible to the guilty as favourable to the innocent in england mere false imprisonment is a ground for recovering damages from the first minister of state if he orders it but in france an innocent man who has been immured in a dungeon who has undergone the torture has no consolation of that kind to hope for no one to look to for damages and he returns to society with a ruined reputation why because his joints have been dislocated that should excite pity and inspire respect the discovery of crimes it is said requires severity it is the war of human justice against iniquity but even in a state of war there is something like generosity and compassion the soldier is compassionate shall the lawgiver alone encourage the exercise of barbarity let us here compare the roman method of conducting criminal proceedings with our own with them the witnesses were publicly examined in the presence of the accused who had the privilege of cross-examining them either by himself or his counsel this method of proceeding was frank and noble it was full of roman magnanimity with us everything is transacted in secret a single judge attended only by his clerk hears all the witnesses who are examined separately this method established by francis i was confirmed by the commissioners appointed to arrange and modify the ordinances of louis the fourteenth in sixteen seventy its confirmation was owing to a mistake they took it into their heads in reading the code detestibus that the words testes intrare judicii secretum meant that witnesses were examined in private but secretum here means the judge's chamber intrare secretum if intended to signify private examination would not be latin a solecism was the foundation of this part of our jurisprudence the witnesses in criminal cases are generally the dregs of the populace whom the judge during private examination may make say whatever he pleases 
these witnesses i examined a second time but still privately and if upon their second examination they retract what they said during the first or vary in essential circumstances they are proceeded against for perjury so that when a simple but honest man unable to express himself with clearness but with every disposition to tell the truth recollecting that he has said too much or too little that he has misunderstood the judge or that the judge has misunderstood him retracts what he has said from a principle of justice he is punished as a villain he is forced to adhere to false testimony to avoid the consequences of perjury the accused if he flies exposes himself to certain conviction and this whether his crime be clearly proved or not some writers on jurisprudence indeed have maintained that contumacy ought not alone be a sufficient ground for conviction but that the charge ought to be fully proved but others less enlightened though perhaps more generally followed are of the contrary opinion they advance the doctrine that the flight of the accused is full proof of his crime that the contempt exhibited by him for justice in refusing to appear deserves the same degree of punishment that would follow a solemn conviction thus it depends upon the sect of lawyers to which the judge may happen to belong whether an innocent man be convicted or acquitted one other great abuse also prevalent in french jurisprudence is that the reveries and errors sometimes having the cruelest tendency of abandoned men who have undertaken to give publicity to their sentiments on legal matters are considered as law two ordinances during the reign of louis the fourteenth were promulgated which are in force throughout the kingdom in the first which relates entirely to civil proceedings the judges are forbidden to give judgment in a civil suit by default if the demand is not proved but in the second regulating criminal cases contains no provision that the accused if no evidence be produced against him shall be discharged extraordinary fact the law provides that he from whom a trifling sum of money is demanded shall not be adjudged to pay it without the debt is established but when life is in question it is a moot point whether he ought not to be convicted if contumacious although the crime be not proved suppose the accused withdraws himself from justice you proceed to seize and take an inventory of his property you do not even wait until the proceeding is finished you have as yet no evidence of his crime you do not know whether he is innocent or guilty and you commence proceedings by forcing upon the defendant immense unnecessary expense it is the penalty you say of his disobedience to the warrant issued against him but i ask 
is not the extreme rigour of your criminal practice the cause of his disobedience a man is accused of a crime you proceed to immure him immediately in a frightful dungeon you suffer no one to have communication with him he is loaded with fetters as if already convicted the witnesses who testify against him are examined in secret and in his absence he sees them only for a moment at the confrontation and then before he has heard their testimony he is bound immediately to stace his objections to the witnesses and at the same time to name the witnesses in support of those objections and he has not the right to cross-examine them after the reading of their testimony if however he should convince the witnesses that they may have exaggerated some facts omitted others or have been mistaken in some of the particulars they have related the fear of punishment will induce them to persist in perjury and if circumstances admitted by the accused when interrogated be differently related by the witnesses that alone will be sufficient grounds for ignorant or prejudiced judges to condemn an innocent man what man is there that such a proceeding would not terrify where is the innocent man who can be sure of acquittal o oh, judges are you desirous that the accused should not fly furnish him with the means of defence the law seems to oblige the magistrate to conduct himself towards a prisoner rather as his enemy than as his judge this judge however possesses the power of confronting the accused with the witnesses or omitting it altogether why is so essential a thing as confrontation suffered to be optional the practice adopted however is in this respect contrary to a law which is equivocal there is always a confrontation but the judge does not always confront all the witnesses he omits often those whose statements appear to him to be unimportant such a witness though he say nothing against a man in the body of his testimony may upon confrontation testify in his favour the witnesses also may have forgotten circumstances favourable to the accused the judge at first may not have felt the weight of those circumstances and may not have reduced them to writing it is therefore extremely important that all the witnesses should be confronted with the accused and that such confrontation be not optional with the judge when it is a criminal charge the accused cannot have the benefit of counsel to defend him he flies a step to which every maxim of law incites him but he may be convicted in his absence whether the crime with which he is charged be proved or not strange doctrine if a civil suit to recover a sum of money be brought against a man a judgment by default cannot be obtained without proof of the debt yet if a matter involving his life occur 
he may be sentenced in his absence without a necessity for a shadow of evidence to substantiate his crime the law then holds money in more estimation than it does life o oh, ye judges consult the pious antonius and the good trajan they suffered not the absent to be condemned your laws allow an extortioner or a fraudulent bankrupt the benefit of counsel and very often deny it to one who may be an honest man if there can be shown one single case where innocence has been made to triumph through the exertions of an advocate the injustice of depriving any one of the advantage is manifest the president lamoignon said in speaking against this law that the advocate or counsel which it was the practice to assign to the accused was not a privilege granted by the ordinances nor by the laws of the kingdom it was a privilege derived from the law of nature a law more ancient than any human institution nature said he points out to every man the necessity of having recourse to the talents of others when he finds himself in a situation where they are indispensable to his safe guidance and he feels that he cannot conduct himself he seeks assistance when unable to defend himself with his own strength our ordinances have taken away from accused persons so many advantages that the least we can do in justice is to preserve those few that remain to them inviolate and most particularly the benefit of counsel and if our proceedings be compared with those of the romans and other nations it will be found that in no nation are they so rigorous as in france particularly since the ordinance of fifteen thirty nine the proceedings are still more rigorous since the ordinance of sixteen seventy they would have been much less so if all the commissioners had thought like m de lamoignon the parliament of toulouse has a singular decree of accuracy in weighing the testimony of witnesses in other places demi-proofs are admitted which is at most admitting doubts there being no such thing as demi-truth but at toulouse they admit of quarters and eighth of a proof we may for example look upon hearsay as a quarter upon another hearsay more vague still as an eighth so that eight rumours which are but the echo of unfounded report may become a complete proof and upon such evidence as this it was that john calla was sentenced to the wheel the roman law required proofs to be luce meridiana clariores End of chapter twenty two